Well, good morning, church. Again, it's good to be here on a rather foggy day, yes? Uh, Thick as pea soup, as the old saying goes. It's uh, good to be back again, of course, and uh, the process uh, of the seller selection or the minister selection process uh, continues to make its way. I think there's a couple more focus groups being held today. And uh, I'm doing a bunch of interviews with ministers and staff and elders of the congregation, and all of that is working its way toward a a report that will emerge somewhere in mid-February. And that will give rise to uh, the elders identifying a a selection, a a search team or a selection team uh, to begin to do the work of looking for a new minister here for the Kerrville Church of Christ. So keep praying. Uh, Keep praying that God will work out his will and purpose for us as we move along. Well, uh, I have have four children. I have three three daughters and a son. My son's an active duty U.S. Army officer. And so he came out of command in, oh, I guess early December, and he and his wife came to Abilene, and uh, we gave them a couple of rooms in our house, and He was on his way to go to Washington, D.C. for his next tour, which was uh, actually graduate work at George Washington University. uh, But then, like everything else, George Washington University went online. He said, Dad, we'll just stay here if you don't mind. (laughs) So so, uh, uh, we've been enjoying having a son and daughter-in-law, and it's great because with his Army life, we don't often get to see them, you know, and so we've been really enjoying it. I'm saying all that to say that William, my son, said back before Christmas, Dad, let's, let's, uh, let's do this. And I said, well, do what? He says, let's watch all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is, I'm finding out, about two dozen films. So we've been slowly slugging in proper order, no less, right? So we started, I think, with Iron Man. I've forgotten now. It's, it's kind of dim, dark past we're finally slugging our way through all of this. We've got a couple more to go. By the time we get done, maybe he and his wife will leave. But, no, I'm just, just teasing, just teasing. In fact, maybe that's why we need to just do a doubleheader tonight and get through them all. No, I, I think we've just got two more to go. But I'm saying all that to say that it's interesting about all these superheroes, right? Uh, you take a, a Spider-Man, and you've got a young, teenaged, orphaned kid who's brilliant but uh, socially adept, and, and he encounters a radioactive spider, and he gets bitten, and his world changes, right? Or Captain America, who's a five-foot-seven, shrimpy, hollow-chested wimp of a fellow, scrappy but wimpy, who gets a serum, and suddenly he becomes the robust, you know, Captain America, or Dr. Strange, this arrogant surgeon who finds himself uh, in a car accident and then he discovers the astral dimension and you know, a bunch of other gobbledygook and he becomes transformed. All of these superheroes are people who find themselves having an encounter and in that encounter, something changes for them. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot. Last week here... In our worship, we took a look at an earlier part of the book of Acts where the Spirit of God is unleashed and at the day of that day of Pentecost and something took place that changed the world, right? It transformed things. This announcement of the gospel 
that's bound up in the story of Jesus Christ in the coming of God's Spirit changed forever the world. And in these verses that we just heard a few moments ago, we begin to see something of what that looks like. What do people look like when they've got some gospel inside of them? What do they look like? Are they changed? In fact, I would argue to say that the best way to know whether or not gospel has got a hold of you is to look at the way you live your life. Anybody want to challenge that? The real test, the real test is not what you say you believe, but what you live, right? Hang with me here. So when we look at these verses from Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, take open her up. We're going to kind of walk through some of this stuff. Acts chapter 2, I know on the, on the order of service it says it's chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's actually, we're looking at chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, what we were heard read a moment ago. We have this summary statement that gives us a clue to what happens when the gospel gets a hold of some ordinary people. It's really quite amazing. Uh, the first thing that we see begin to happen here is that these are folks who devour, they devote themselves to apostles' teaching. These people, you could say they're Bible students, but that's not quite saying it enough. Yes, from Genesis to Revelation, these folks are listening to their Bible. They don't have Revelation, by the way, right? I mean, these, they, they've got the Hebrew Bible. What, what the text is pri primarily saying, or accurately saying, precisely saying, is that they're listening closing, closely to what the apostles are teaching. And what are they doing? I believe they're taking the Old Testament and, and telling the story of Jesus. And then they're taking the story of Jesus and telling the story of Jesus. They are devouring the healthy teaching that forms people to look like Jesus. Now, I want to be clear here, because in Churches of Christ, we've made a long and clear commitment to be people of the book. That's the kind of language we like to use. We know the Bible. We know the, we know, we know the Bible. We study it. Well, I want to say two things about that. One is I don't think we do that anymore, frankly. I'll just put it out there. I think if we did, we'd see more revival and renewal in our churches. And number two, the reason why I say that is, and why I want to pull it out and tease it out for us today, that it's not about knowing the Bible that makes you a disciple of Jesus Christ. Book learning doesn't cut it in the real world, and it doesn't cut it with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If I can say all the books of the Bible frontwards, backwards, and sideways, it still doesn't help me uh, decipher and know how to live uh, and make the right kind of decision ethically about how I treat my neighbor. But just knowing stuff doesn't necessarily mean that I'll put it into play in my life. What we're looking for and what we see here in, the first, in this book of Acts are people who are listening closely to the teaching of the apostles and it is transforming the way they see the world. And it's that transformation of being people who are sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ and willing to not get in the way of what God is up to in the world that gives us the book of Acts where the gospel finds its way from Jerusalem to to Samaria, and on into the uttermost parts of the world, right? 
This is a transformational story, a radical revival and renewal that breaks forth all over the known world. How does that happen? Is it happening because they know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Oh, they, they know that. But what they really know is that that story of Scripture gives us the story of Jesus. And they have committed themselves to the apostles' teaching to live and embody that fully and completely and get out of the way of the Spirit of God. I'm saying this, church, because um, in my work with lots of churches, I hear some really interesting things. Like not too long ago in a church, I'm sitting with a group of elders, a small group of elders, and one of them, about 70 years of age, is lamenting the fact that the young people want new music in church. They want new songs in worship. Can you imagine this conversation ever going on? I hear it every church I go to. Except here, I haven't heard it here. No, I'm not. We want, and, and then he goes on to say, when I was 25 years old, the elders came to me and said, introduce new music to the church, and I did. And I'm still leading uh, the worship in the church. This is the guy who introduced 728B to his church in 1972. Our God is alive, right? And I, I finally said to him, brother, uh, how old were the elders that asked you as a 25-year-old to help this church renew and get some new music going on? He said, well, they were probably in their 60s. And I said, how old are you? That's how I know he was 70. Don't you think it's a time to kind of get out of the way and let the Spirit of God work afresh and anew? 1970 is 50 years ago. You see, if we're paying attention to the apostles' teaching and the power, the transforming power of the gospel, then our aim, our goal, our commitment is to follow and make Jesus Christ our Lord and get out of the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do this day and every day. These folks in Acts 2 were people who were listening closely to the apostles' teaching and letting the gospel do its work in transforming and renewing, calling them to repentance day by day, as we spoke about last week. The second thing that's happening in this church that I think we need to pay close attention to is this word fellowship. They, they devoted themselves to the apostle teachings, apostles' teaching and fellowship. Now, uh, I don't know what to do here. I mean, yes, I know Greek. The Greek word is, somebody tell me. Oh, come on. Koinia, right? Everybody wants to be a little Greek expert. Say, oh, the Greek word here is koinia. Oh. Okay, that wasn't funny. Okay. All right. So fellowship, fellowship. What do we mean by fellowship? Well, I think we think we mean by that is when we all get together. Well, maybe, maybe. When we all get together really is another biblical word. It's the word assembly. We assemble together. That's what the church is. It's the assembled group. Koinia is about sharing, sharing. Now, is getting together part of sharing? Sure. Sure it is, but it's sort of like saying all of the iceberg is what you see above the water, right? That's just the tip of things. The reality is what, what is being spoken of here in the book of Acts is that this koinia is the deep sharing of people with one another, not because they like each other or because they're the same, uh, same right? 
that they're all the same race or all the same economic uh, background or they all have the same politics or they all have the same fill-in-the-blank. These folks are from 17 different nations. Talk about diversity. Talk about how hard it is to get along with one another. They are sharing deeply one another's lives because God brought them together, not because they like each other or because they're similar to each other. This deep sharing means that they're willing to do whatever it takes to help one another along. It's the sort of thing that happens when you take a trip with a group of people. I've taken people to Israel a number of times, probably half a dozen times, and it always is amazing to me how that group of 30 or 40 people become a tight-knit community. They have fellowship. They're willing to, hey, you got a, here's a snack, here's a snack. Oh, you need help? I'll, I'll push your wheelchair. I was with one group where one woman broke her leg and me and another guy carried her all, all over the place, all over the Temple Mount, woman on my back. We back and forth. Why? Because we're, we're doing this thing together. We're, for, we're here for each other, no matter what. It transcends what takes place in the assembly. To say this is the sum total of fellowship would be a, a false notion. It's a shallow thing. It would be like saying, well, uh, to be a real basketball player means showing up and going through pregame warm-ups and then being there when they announce everybody and, you, you know, hey, here we are, yay, and then walking off the court. The real game takes place when they throw the ball up. And the real game for fellowship of deep sharing and taking care of one another and seeking out the best interest of other people take place Monday through Saturday. Are you following me? To think that somehow or another we are obeying and living out fully the story of the book of Acts by saying, well, I show up at church every Sunday, so don't be messing with me, is a false sort of assumption to make. Fellowship is the deep caring and sharing and being willing to give whatever it takes to help your brother, your sister, the stranger in our midst, because that's where God's at. Now, part of the reason I'm saying that is, is this. As I visit churches across the country, I won't be with you in February because I'm going to be in a church in Indiana. And I'll say the same thing to them I'm going to say to you. Okay? So don't think I'm picking on you. <laughs> is that there is this sort of notion that if we could just get past the pandemic and get back to, and here we go with this word, normal, that we can all get back to the way things were. Well, I've got two surprises for you, two hard words for that. One is the normal has changed forever. And two, a lot of folks aren't going to be coming back to church. They're just not. They were fair-weather Christians. And the folks who were kind of hanging on to see if, if church could really turn loose and be fully fellowship in its deep and full meaning have decided it's probably not going to happen. We're going to have to learn, church, that uh, just thinking that if we could just get people to come to our assemblies, then they'll become Christians, that day is dead. If the church is going to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must learn how to be church and practice fellowship, care for one another, outside the four walls of this building. Elvis has left the building, and so must we. Or to say it, gospel-like, Jesus Christ has left the building. He is with us here in this moment now as we assemble in his name. But come Monday morning, you know where Jesus is at? 
Jesus is with your neighbor as your neighbor pushes the trash can down to the curb. That's where Jesus is at. Jesus is with that homeless guy that's walking down the street. That's where you'll find Jesus. Jesus is with your co-worker who's struggling in their marriage, and you can't quite figure out how to say, look, can I pray for you? That's where Jesus is at. That's where fellowship takes place. It takes place in the rough and tumble of our ordinary life as we reach and touch and connect with other human beings. These folks devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And the third thing here is the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. It's an odd phrase. I think when we see it, we think, oh, communion, right? Communion. In fact, we're going to do that in a few minutes whenever this preacher gets through Yagging on, right? Well, yes, that's sort of maybe what it means. But if we just assume that what they're doing here is getting together in one big room and passing out a little, handing out a little uh, cracker and a little sip of juice, then we've not understood what transformative work is happening when they broke bread together. Whenever people broke bread in the ancient world, the Jewish folk, they recognized, and they always did this with a blessing, they blessed a meal. When they came together to eat, they evoked the presence of God. And Jesus models that in his ministry. The Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, the author of that being Luke, whenever he talks about a meal and Jesus, it's always about the fact that when, Jesus, that when a meal is broken, something special happens. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning meal with grape juice and crackers. Whenever people get around a table and begin to share that Jesus is showing up. You see, for, for the ancient Christians, for these Christians, any time you could get together with another brother or a sister and have a moment to share a meal, it was a time when Jesus is going to show up. Does that mean communion? Yeah. But it also might mean a potluck. It might mean having an ice cream social. Whenever we acknowledge that Jesus is going to show up, he does show up. And that's what is so powerful about this practice that we see in the book of Acts. When they broke bread, it wasn't just with one another. It was because Jesus was showing up. Now, I know it's hard to do that right now. I, I know it is. I Vicki, my wife, and I wrestle with this. this. Back in the spring and early summer, we found some ways of doing this. We, we began to invite our neighbors over to have, uh, we've got a big front porch. So we said, why don't you come over to the front porch? We'll put out a couple of uh, folding tables. We'll socially distance, and let's share a meal together. They were like, sure, okay. So, you know, I'd put some steaks on, and she, the neighbor across the way would bring over a side dish. Somebody else would fix a, a dessert, and there we would set four or six of us, out on the front porch. You know what we did? I said, can I pray? Sure. Come to find out, they're all church-going folk. Next thing you know, we've spent three or four hours on the front porch having broken bread together, talking about our lives, our neighborhood, our families, our faith. Jesus showed up on the front porch I can't wait till it gets warm enough for us to do that again. And I know they do too. You see, we've got to 
I, I want to invite you to reimagine what it means to take the story of Jesus, that Jesus is showing up in our world, right? And, and bring that right into the simple practice of breaking bread, whether it's around your own dinner table or whether it's with a neighbor or a friend. That, that transformative work is always in play for, uh, for God and the way in which he brings about transformation in our lives. Then the fourth thing that they, these folks are practicing is prayer. Prayer. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about prayer. And one of the things that I admire about Kerrville, this church, is the way in which prayer is leaned into. And, and that's what we see happening here. They're devoting themselves to prayer. But before I say something directly about prayer, I want to ask this question. Who was leading the church, this early church, this primitive church, this actually rather ordinary church in Jerusalem? Was it the apostles? Were they the leaders of this church? Who was the real leader of this church? Who's the real leader here? Is it the staff? Is it the elders? Or is it God? You should know that the answer to that is God, right? You probably kind of caught that. Oh, he played the trump card. He used God. So it must be, that must be the right answer, God. Well, yes, it's the right answer. Prayer reminds us that who's, in, who's really in charge. That's why I'm saying this. Who's really in charge of this? Who's really in charge of the affairs of this early burgeoning church? It's God and by the Spirit of God at work among this people. Who's in charge? The church in Kerrville, Texas. Well, guess what? It's God. And when we pray in such a way as that we acknowledge that God is large and in charge, then powerful things can begin to happen. Have you ever noticed the Lord's Prayer, how it works? Uh, Jesus is teaching us something very deep and important about the practice of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So far, where's the tension at here? Yeah. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. And yet I wonder about my prayer, and I'm asking you to think about your prayer. How much of it is, well, Lord, I just, I just hope you'd get rid of this COVID so we can go back to the way things were, because I'm uncomfortable. Or, Lord, you know, and on and on we go with our stuff. And I want to say to us, church, God is ready to break forth and bring new things to us if we will just acknowledge that he is the sovereign one. And it is his agenda, his purpose, and his mission that he's invited us into. And it begins on bended knees in the practice of prayer, acknowledging God's sovereignty, his power, and that it is his, his will that we desire more than my will or your will. You following me? If you want to know why the church took off leaps and bounds in the first century, it is because the church understood that God was the source of all power. Not human power. Not the elders. Not some preacher. By the way, I need to tell you this. Don't be thinking that the new preacher is going to be some sort of a savior for this church. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. 
What we've got to do and practice is a kind of prayer life that acknowledges and devotes ourselves to the fact that this is God's this is God's work, it's God's mission, it's God's purpose for the city of Kerrville, and this is God's church. So these folks got a hold of that. They got a hold of it. And wow, what took place among these people. Well, okay, let me see if I can land this plane here this morning. And uh, I, every time I see what happens in this text, it just always overwhelms me. Because I think sometimes we, we kind of think we've kind of got it all together, and yet there's so much for us to do. That's why the idea of repentance, of altering our path, is so, so important. And so let me just call your attention to a couple more words in this text. We've, I've said it, but I haven't spoken about it. They devoted themselves. Devoted. They gave themselves to, them, to this fully and completely. There was no, I'll throw in a little bit here and there, or when I'm available, or uh, now and then. It is all in. Now, my dad was a preacher, and he had a bunch of those corny preacher jokes. And I've been thinking about one he used to tell a lot. He said there was a story about the chicken. You probably heard this one. Been around a while. Chicken and the pig, and they're talking about the poor farmer. The poor farmer needs something to eat. And the chicken says to the pig, let's, let's provide breakfast for the farmer. And the pig says, well, that's easy for you to say. For you, that just means a little donation, an egg. For me, it means something entirely different. Right? Bacon is a sacrifice. Devoted. Devoted. I, I want to invite you to imagine what it means to be devoted to the cause of the gospel, to give yourself fully and deeply and completely to what God longs to do in your life and in the life of this church and in the life of this city of Kerrville, where this church has such an opportunity to extend its influence for the sake of the gospel. What does that look like? So what I'm saying here this morning is that this group in Jerusalem was really an ordinary church. Just people. People from all over the world that had gathered on that moment and that occasion. They're ordinary people. And they're doing ordinary things. They're taking up the task of paying close attention to the apostles' teaching. They are people who are practicing sharing and caring for one another of taking care of one another's needs, even to the point of having, having all things in common. There are people who are breaking bread. They're recognizing that Jesus is showing up in their ordinary lives. There are people who are given to prayer. And in that ordinary work of those practices, those four practices, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the extraordinariness of this is not the work that they did. The extraordinariness of this story is what God did when ordinary people gave themselves to rather ordinary practices. And so this morning, this morning I'm inviting you to practice repentance, to align yourself anew and afresh with the gospel story and allow that transformation 
to move us more deeply into being a people who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. Let me say a prayer for us here at this point, and Raymond, then if you'll come and lead us in song. Gracious God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the way in which you broke into human history, not only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but by the pouring forth of your spirit and the way in which the gospel story changes our world. We confess to you, O Lord, that although we believe this, that we often falter in our ways of practicing and living obediently and responding faithfully to the good work that you long to do in our life and in the life of our church and in this city. And so this morning, uh, hear us as we recommit ourselves to be devoted to these ancient practices in our day and time and place. Renew us, O Lord, and use us because more than anything else, we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Kerrville, even as it is in heaven. And the church said, Amen. Let's stand.